You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, Kensington. We're so glad you're here today. If we haven't met, my name is Jesse Allen, and I'm Student Ministries Director at the Orient Campus. Today, we're beginning a new series called Above All. Let me ask you, what does above all mean? What's the most vital of all? That's what this series is about. In the Bible, Peter makes a powerful statement that begins above all, which is followed by three action steps. Number one, love others deeply. Number two, use your gift. And number three, serve in strength. This three-week series will help us focus on ways we can serve and love those right next to us as well as those around the globe. The other opportunity we have coming up is the Hope Water Project 5K and Fun Run. Metro Detroit campuses are invited to join us for the special event at the Troy campus on June 4th. And our Traverse City campus is holding their Hope Water Project 5K on July 20th. Before I get into the details of the event, let's talk about the why. Why has our church community supported Hope Water Project for such a long time? Over 14 years. It started with a special friendship between Kensington founder Steve Andrews and his friend Julius Murgor, who is from the Pokot region of Western Kenya. In time, hundreds of people from our community committed to the mission of bringing clean water to the Pokot people. I haven't had the opportunity to go to Kenya, but I have seen the images and the video of the harsh, dry land. It's amazing to see the hope that comes from having fresh water. With it, everything and everyone can thrive. Schools and churches can be built and communities can grow. So whether you're a runner or not, this 5K and fun run has a place on your calendar. We're looking for runners, joggers, and walkers who will participate in the race as well as fundraise. We're also looking for businesses to sponsor the event, and we'll need volunteers too. Both race events include a community barbecue afterwards to replenish all of those burnt calories. This is a fun time for the whole family, and you'll be changing the lives of families in Kenya at the same time. Find out more at kensingtonchurch.org slash 5K. Now let's get back to the service and see what God has to say to us this morning. All right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Kensington. Super, wow, yeah. Super excited that you guys are here today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. This is the Orion campus that you're tuned into, and we are so thankful that you are here joining us today. So I just, let me reiterate a little bit about what Jesse said in the video. If you've not met Jesse, he's our student ministry director around here, and he is absolutely an incredible dude. And so if you have middle schoolers or high schoolers, you need to approach him in the lobby and be like, hey, Jesse, let's talk, okay? Because he wants to reach your kids and and point them to Jesus, and he's just an incredible guy. So let me just reiterate a few of those things. We have the Hope Water 5K coming up on June 4th. June 4th, there's a slide for that. If you wanna sign up, you can go to kensingtonchurch.org and uh, sign up. It's an opportunity for you to get out and run, feel good about yourself while doing good around the globe. So make sure you connect for that. Now, Edge, how many of you guys know what Edge is? Let me see a show of hands. Edge, Edge, Edge. Edge is our high school ministry. It's ninth grade to 12th grade. Our Edge ministry is going on a missions trip to, um, wait, where are they going? I had it written down. Dominican Republic. They're going to the, I can't believe this. They're going to the Dominican Republic, and here's the deal. They are collecting shoes to take with them to give to the people in the Dominican Republic. So they are, they are um, collecting athletic shoes. So whether it be like some J's or some basketball shoes or some cleats or whatever it is that you want to bring and donate, they're asking for new shoes, and 
they're collecting them at all of the campuses, but here at Orion, there's a bin out by the hub in the lobby where you can participate and join with our student ministries to bless uh, the students of the DR. Uh, the next thing I want to talk to you about really quick is uh, an event coming up by Field and Stream. Now, how many of you are familiar with Kensington's Field and Stream ministry? Let me see. Show of hands. Show of hands. Okay, I see some of you out there. Perfect. Beautiful. So they are having a fundraiser on Saturday, May 21st. Saturday, May 21st, the, the, uh, it's at Bald Mountain Shooting Range from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And listen, the Field and Stream crew, they support things locally as well as wells globally. I mean, they do all kinds of awesome ministry around the world. And here's what you need to know about this event, one of the most important things. They're having Bad Brad's Barbecue. Okay, how many of you know what Bad Brad's Barbecue is? Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord for that? Yes. Did you know, life hack, five bucks, you can buy one of those mason jars that say Bad Brad's and you can take it with you? Did you know that? Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. If you get nothing else out of the service today, you're like, we're going to Bad Brad's and I'm getting me a drink, right? It's going to be great. But Bad Brad's at the Field and Stream event, it's going to be a great time. We want to invite you to that. Now, as you were walking in, you should have received one of these. This is a serve team card. Let me see. Did you guys get one? Hold them up. Let me see. If you got it, let me see it. Perfect, perfect, perfect. If you're sitting at the tables, yeah, they're on the tables as well. So this serve team card, this is an opportunity for you to jump in here at Kensington. Now, we're in this whole new series that we're talking through, uh, you know, serving locally and regionally and globally and all of that. And Craig's going to get into more of that in a few minutes. But if you want to take the opportunity, we're going to put it up on the screen here. There is a number that you can take a picture of, and you can actually text instead of filling out the card. So if you're a paper person, here you go. Here's your physical copy. Get connected that way. Or you can text serve to that number and Miss Kim Kozell. How many of you know who Kim Kozell is? Yeah, she's a rock star around here. Kim Kozell will personally text you back and get you plugged in and answer any questions that you have in hopes to get you connected around here at Kensington. Cool? Cool. Okay. So let me just talk for a few minutes then. Um, I'm sure many of you have seen on your phones or in the media or on social media or whatever the tragedy that took place in Buffalo yesterday. And if you're unaware, um, there was a shooting in Buffalo where there were 10 victims at a local grocery store yesterday afternoon. And it's in moments like these that it's like, man, what is going on, you know? It's so heavy. I was talking with Sam Frangioni last night. We were texting just kind of, what do we say? How do we address this? What do we, what, you know? You're at a loss for words at the rise of, of evil that just comes through in moments like these. The darkness that pierces through and you're just like, man, how, how does one respond when something so terrible happens? And, you know, I've been, I was thinking through it and I was brought to this concept of shalom, Shalom is the idea that's carried with the Hebrew word for peace. And peace, all throughout the Old Testament, they use this word shalom. Now, when they say shalom in the Old Testament, it's not just the absence of conflict, but it's the arrival of something better. Shalom carries with it this connotation of wholeness and fullness. You know, whenever they say that a wall is completely constructed and there's no missing pieces, they say that's shalom. That's the fullness. That's completeness there. It's something very complex with many moving parts, but it's made whole. So when Jesus comes, and Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace, it's this Greek word, irene, 
which Irene is sort of the Greek connection to the Hebrew term shalom. And so when Jesus comes and he's the Prince of Peace, we're able to have hope in Jesus. And the hope in Jesus was that he would come and bring shalom to all humanity. That he would bring restoration and reconciliation. That he would bring wholeness and completeness to us all. And so when we pray in these moments, we say, God, what do we say? What what do we do? I would encourage us to pray for shalom. I would encourage us to seek this this peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, we've been in this series the last couple of weeks talking through the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5.22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit, nine attributes. And it's the evidence of the Holy Spirit alive in us. You know what those attributes are? Love, joy, peace, patience. Wait, what was the third one? Love, joy, peace. That's that shalom. That's that wholeness. That's that reconciliation piece. That's that completeness that we need to bring to the world around us. And so this song that we're about to sing, we're singing about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. When we say, Holy Spirit, come, we're saying, Holy Spirit, bring shalom to us. And so as we sing this next song, I want us to sing it in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Buffalo who are hurting, who are suffering, who are experiencing anything but peace right now. And I pray that, and I hope you will pray with me that the peace that surpasses all understanding will infiltrate that community and they will feel the presence of God. When we sing these words, you know, I'm coming with a heart of worship. I'm bringing in a brand new song. I'm ready for, to see the unthinkable. I'm ready for a miracle. Shalom would be a miracle in our culture. It says, oh, Holy Spirit, come like a flood, like a fire. Holy Spirit, fall. Consume all that is taking place. Bring new life to the world around us that was brought to us in Jesus and we're included in it through the Holy Spirit. And so as we sing this next song, it might hit a little different. But let's take a few moments together. Let's pray and then we're going to stand in worship. So let's pray together. God, we lift up the Buffalo community right now. We ask for your peace. We ask for your grace. We ask for the hope that is found in Jesus. When we don't know what to say, when we don't know what to do, we turn to you. So God, I pray you'd send your Holy Spirit to that community, to those families that are involved in this tragedy. God, we take this moment We empathize. We stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Buffalo. We mourn, we weep, and we seek you. God, do a work like only you can do. We ask you to come. We ask you to show up in a powerful and tangible way. God, we love you and we praise you. We adore you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. Go ahead and stand and worship with us this morning.
You guys thankful they use their talents here or what? Isn't that good? Three of you are with me. That's great. That's good. <laughs> you know when Matthias says, uh, when he backs up and he's like, mm, come on, y'all. That's like him encouraging you. <laughs> That's like him saying, you got good voices and you sing well. Man, you guys do too. You're, you're not bad, Matthias, yourself. Wait till later, though, when Joyce is going to close us out with a song today. Holy smokes. I had somebody tell me literally after first service, they're coming back for a second time because of her. So it's going to be good. Well, welcome. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. Here's what I hope you know and I hope you believe. And if you don't, I hope you one day will, is that that song is about you. That was written about you. I, I grew up in a weird, I've shared this before, some of you know this, but maybe some of you don't. I grew up in a church background where the idea of God chasing me was a pretty constant one, but it was never to that end. It was always to beat me over the head or to shame me or to correct me or to scold me just because I wasn't measuring up. And it, it really wasn't until late in high school that I actually realized that wasn't at all the heart of God. That's not why God chases us down. The reason he chases us down is to love us because he's nuts about you. He is so in love with you. It doesn't matter all the reasons you think he shouldn't be, he still is. Even if you're like, I don't even know if I believe in him. I don't know if I believe in God or I certainly don't know if I believe Jesus is God. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change how he feels about you. He is wildly passionate about you. I think one of the verses in the Bible that probably rattled me the most at one point and began to help me realize my image of God was so wrong is Zephaniah 3.17, where it says that God sings over us. You do not sing over people that you do not love immensely. There are only a few people in this world I will ever sing over, and that's because I love them enough that they will put up with my horrible voice, but I will sing over them because they are my heart. This is my daughters, my son, my wife. God sings over you. He sings over you in your doubt. He sings over you in your disbelief. He sings over you in your dysfunction. He sings over you in your sin. He sings over you in your brokenness. He sings over you because he loves you. You were made by him. You were made for him. This is our hope and our prayer is if you have never yet felt the pursuing chase of God after you through Jesus Christ that you one day will. And know that he chases you down to love you. The song is all about you. So we're starting a new series today. The series is, uh, it, it really finds itself embedded in about 97 words that are captured in four verses written by a man who was one of Jesus' closest followers and friends. His name is Peter. And Peter writes a couple of places in the Bible, and he writes with a very unique authority. Uh, I think Peter, among all of the writings in the Bible, are some of the most important because of both content and proximity. The, the things that he writes about are about the saving nature of Jesus Christ, but Peter writes with an authority that none of the rest of us ever could speak about Jesus with because I'm talking to you about Jesus 2,000 years later. Peter was with him walked in the deepest counsel of Jesus, was among his three closest friends, his 12 closest followers. Like this was a guy that slept under the same roof as Jesus for three years, even under the stars at times. He walked alongside him. Like nobody can speak with the kind of authority 
that somebody like Peter. So when Peter says, this is who he was, this is what he's about, like you lean in and pay attention because few people can speak about Jesus like a man like Peter can. And of all the things that Peter writes about in the Bible, what's interesting to me is the verses that we're gonna read and really base this whole series off of is one of the few places that he highlights and he really accentuates with the words before everything else that he'll say, two words, above all. Like it's why it's the name of the series because Peter is gonna tell us some things 2,000 years later with the same importance and intensity that he did when he first wrote them but he's going to highlight and emphasize what it is he says above everything else that he has to say and that he writes. And I think that's important because you and I all know above all moments. You have them, I have them. Like when you have an above all moment in life, you know, everybody else around you knows, like this is an important moment. Like the first time I put all three of my teenage kids in the same car driven by my teenage son, that was an above all moment. Like I, there was forever, my wife was like, babe, you gotta, you gotta let Tobin start to drive the girls. I think he's 19 now, I think he was like 18 when we started having that conversation. Is it time for him to drive the girls? No, no, it's not. She's like, you gotta trust him at some point. I don't know when that point's coming, but it ain't yet. I'm like, boy, he's been in two accidents. I'm not putting my girls in that car. And so like time went on and she's like, there's like so many moments. She's like, you got, you got to let him drive them. You got to let him drive. And even my daughters, like you guys were harassing me forever. Oh, for real? You're not going to pay attention? No? Right here, right here. Forever you were harassing me. You don't even know what I'm talking about right now. You just hate me for calling you out. <laughs> I'll sing over you later. Don't worry about it. And they're like, dad, let us drive with Tobin. I was like, no, no. But then the day came. Oh, man. I remember I was standing in the driveway, Tobin's in his car, they were in the back, and I did one of these, like lean on his, on his you know, window, and I'm like, all right, we need to talk about the things. You're gonna be eyes on the road. I don't want any music, none. You keep the music off. I don't want you joking around. Matter of fact, there's no talking whatsoever in the car. You just keep your mouth closed. You keep your eyes forward. You drive 10 miles an hour under the speed, 15 under the speed. Like we went through all the things, but here was the above all moment. I looked in and I was like, listen, you have my baby girls in this car. Do not drive like a fool. And he looks at me, he's like, well, thanks, Dad, I'm in a car too. I'm like, I don't care about you, I care about them. You drive, like that was my above all moment. So what Peter does with the church is he has this moment, we're gonna read it, where he has an above all moment of all the things he writes, he wants them to understand, and I want you to understand it right now, that he says above all all you catch these 97 words because this is what so much hinges on so i just want to pray for a moment and ask that the god that peter was writing about and writing under the authority of would be the one that speaks to us and makes sense of this today so let me pray father in heaven who is also here with us now i just acknowledge you jesus christ is risen from the grave the God who was and who is and who is to come again and say, would you be the one who speaks to us today at a level that no person could speak to, penetrating to the deepest parts of our mind, our heart, our emotions, and our soul? Would you help these words written by Peter some 2,000 years ago to come alive to us today that we would receive them not as just written for them then, but written for us now? And I pray, God, that you would bring clarity where we need clarity, bring correction where we need correction, bring encouragement where we need encouragement. And I pray, God, that in all of it, Jesus Christ would be lifted up and would be glorified. 
and that somehow we would know this great mystery of his love for us and of the mission that you have called us into a little bit more when we walk out of here than maybe when we walked in. Thank you, God, that you are the one who relentlessly pursues us because you love us and to no other end. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things that is a value of ours as a community, that's what we're gonna do for a minute here, is to, uh, to give together. Believing that God's given us all that we have, we open up our hands and we give back. There are so many ways that the generosity of this community continues to impact not just us here, not even just us outside these walls, but literally all around the globe. So if you're not a part of that, as always, we'd love to invite you to be a part of it. This is not, here, this is not about money for us. These moments are really about two things. It's about us trusting God. So he's given what we have and we give a portion of it back. There's trust in there when you have to let go of your stuff and you trust it back to him to be used to good purposes and ends of Jesus being made known. But it's also about surrender. It's us saying, it ain't, it ain't about us. It is about you. And so we're trusting you. And so if you're not a part of that with us, we'd love to have you join us on the screen. There's all the ways that you can do that and be a part of it. And we'd love to have you and just say thank you to all of you who are. So Peter. For those of you who don't know Peter very well, I'm going to give you a little bit of a bio on who he is and why it is particularly that he's writing the letter that we're going to read. Because I think in that context, it makes a little bit more sense what it is he's going to say. It gives it a little bit more layer, a little bit more depth and value. So here's Peter. Um, Peter was one of the three closest friends of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples. But if you only look at the easier things to acknowledge about him, I think you miss much of the complexity of Peter. And in his complexity, you miss the beauty of Jesus. Because Peter, honestly, of all the disciples, for me personally, is the one that I can most easily identify with. There's different disciples, different personalities. You take John, for example. Like when John, who is also one of Jesus' three closest friends, when he writes in the Bible, in the book of John, do you know how he refers to himself? He refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Like, that's, that's pretty audacious when you're gonna be like, I am, I am the one whom Jesus loved. But I mean, John, I mean, he was there. He was tight with Jesus. He did not make a lot of the mistakes that Peter made. He was the only disciple at the foot of the cross at the crucifixion, did not run and hide. And so he has a certain credibility, I guess, to write of himself, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. And then you've got Peter on the other hand. Peter is a, a hothead, ambitious, kind of a go-getter that often goes and gets it wrong as much as he gets it right. This is where I start to identify with Peter. He's a little bit volatile, a little bit temperamental. He had a temper that probably matched his foul language. Uh, it was Peter that we have more record of arguing with Jesus than any of the other disciples uh, it was Peter that had a tendency to lash out in anger, even at moments where at his side, Jesus was like, no, 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 that's not my way. That's not how we behave. Peter's like, oh, yes, it is. And so he constantly had to be kind of reined back in more than the rest of the disciples. The book of Galatians shows us a picture of Peter's heart and that there's just this reality that Peter dealt with a certain level of racism in his own heart, that his other fellow like leaders in the church had to constantly confront and call out of him. So like, this is, this is Peter. And then on the other hand, Peter is also the guy who finds his way into the deepest council with Jesus. Not just of the 72, not even of the 12, but of literally the three that had some of the closest encounters. Moments like the, the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus literally took back a certain layer and a certain level of his, of his kind of human form and revealed more of his divinity to just three of them, not to all of them, and Peter was among that group. It was Peter 
that Jesus said to, not the other disciples, it's on you that I will build my church. Peter wrote two of the books in the Bible, no small feat. And it was Peter that preached the first sermon after the resurrection. The previous coward who ran at the crucifixion moment now stands bold in front of a group of people that were responsible for putting Jesus on the cross, calls them to count, tells them about the grace of Jesus. Thousands of them repent, and the whole church is born out of that moment. Like, this is the complexity of Peter. And one of the things that's so beautiful about that, I think, and so powerful to understand, is that if a knucklehead like Peter has a chance, and so do you and I, Like, if this guy can get into the deepest council with Jesus, be counted among his closest friends, and then be used literally as the catalyst for the worldwide movement of the church, then you and I also have a chance. And we have a chance because of something that Peter learned many times the hard way, but became the foundation to how he lived, and in many ways, what he wrote, which is simply this, in God's kingdom, there is no merit system. Everything that God chooses to do to both save us and use us is done completely and entirely out of his grace and his goodness, which is a great thing, because if it was up to me, I would never be able to do enough to achieve him. And he says, you don't have to. My son did it all for you. That was good news for Peter. That's good news for us. So why is he writing this letter? In a word, encouragement. This is still a young, budding, growing church, but it's also a church that finds itself under the oppressive push of the Roman thumb, probably like never before in history or since. This is a time when in the church's history, men and women and children were being fed the lions in the Colosseums. It's a time when Emperor Nero was preparing to use the bodies of Christian men and women as human torches to light the streets of Rome. It's a time when the church was literally being chased down from city to city, town to town, region to region. And so as a result, the church was this fractured, scattered, small groups of individuals that were meeting over about 100,000 square miles of space. So very disjointed from one another. And so in Peter's writing to the church, he writes to this fractured, scattered, discouraged church. And as he writes to them, what's interesting to me is that what he finds necessary and all that they're facing to write to them about is not to write to them about their persecution. He says, above all, and we're about to read what it is that he says, but here's what he did not say. Above all, just remember God's going to come through. Above all, it, you know, it's, it's going to end, it'll get better. Above all, stand up for yourselves and fight back. Above all, don't let the man take you down. Like what he writes to them actually does not have anything to do with the suffering they're enduring. It has everything to do with the mission that they've been given. So here's what he says. You're like, golly, about time. Here we go. First Peter, chapter four, verse eight. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. For each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in all its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Everyone say above all. So as Peter's writing, 
he essentially, he has three themes in this small collection of verses. Love one another, serve the stranger, and share God's words with courage and boldness. It can't be lost on us either that this is Peter who's writing, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins, and then he tags onto the end and practice hospitality. Here's why I think it's unique, because Peter's writing out of his own experiences. Remember, this is the guy that betrayed Jesus, left him at the cross, denied him to the face of a small young girl even. He was such a coward in that moment, afraid of being identified with Jesus, that he runs off and leaves. So this is a guy that knows what it means to sin deeply and greatly, to betray Jesus. And yet, we also know in John 20 that he's brought back by Jesus, that literally it's Jesus' love for him that covers the multitude of his sins, folds him back in, does not say to him, well, it was one and done, dude. Nope, you messed up too great. Hey, I can only go so far, but you went further, so forget it. That was it, last shot. None of that. Jesus brings him right back in and then empowers him to be the person that will initiate the whole movement of the church. And here's what's also interesting is Peter is telling us literally what has been his experience, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. He then says, and practice hospitality with one another, which I think also comes out of his story because the first reuniting of Jesus and Peter, do you know where it took place? On a beach over breakfast. Never underestimate the power of what happens, the spiritual reality that can take place around a table sharing a meal. Some of the greatest moments in the early church, as a matter of fact, take place at settings just like these around tables. Matter of fact, when Peter's writing and he says hospitality, the Greek word that he uses here, it literally just means this, to be fond of guests. He's saying, here's part of what I am charging you to be as my community is to be people who are fond of using what God has given you, your literal home, your resources, open it up and be fond of people coming in and being hospitable to them. This became such a tactical part of what it meant to love one another in the early church that it literally makes its way into the list of qualifications for church leaders. Like you wanna be among the church leaders according to the scriptures, one of the qualifications, you have to be hospitable. You have to be a person willing to practice hospitality. This became so linked to the, the, really the aspect of the practical outpouring of how we love one another that it makes it all the way into the requirements of even leadership in the church. Here's what's interesting though about this word that Peter chooses because it doesn't just have in its Greek language emphasis on how we love and are hospitable to one another. It's not just saying, hey, invite somebody from church over for dinner. It actually goes even further and has equally as much, if not more emphasis on inviting in the stranger that you don't even know. Using your table and your home for a place of spiritual business. Which is interesting when you, again, think of the context. This is a setting in an era in which Christians are among the most, if not the most, unpopular people to exist. So the chances in a time where people are traveling and there's no hotels, so you need a safe place to stay, a clean place to stay. And so he says, hey, this is a great tactic. We're going to open up our homes so that we can serve people because there are no hotels. There's no, there's no Holiday Inn chain, so you're going to be the Holiday Inn. My church, my followers are going to be the Holiday Inn of this era. It not only serves the community, brings benefit to the area and the city in which you live, it actually puts Christians face-to-face with possibly some of the people that hate them the most. Could you imagine living in an era 
where men and women are being fed to lions, literally in the Colosseums, to cheers of audiences, maybe some of which are going to travel to your region. And the instruction of Peter is, open your homes. Invite them in and practice hospitality. The early church would have read that, would have heard that, and would have understood we could be inviting in danger to our very home. But what Peter knew is that there is power that it takes place over a table. Even for you and I, I wonder who it is that God has in your life that the impact he desires to have through you in them is going to happen at your table. Maybe even with somebody right now that just annoys the heck out of you. Somebody at work, somebody at church, maybe it's Sam. And I wonder if part of what God would have us to still embrace today as he did his early church is open up your table. It's really hard to hate people you eat with. And there is serious spiritual work that takes place at tables. And so Peter's charge to the early church is love one another, open your homes, speak the word of God boldly. Part of the reason we did this today is even to just for a couple of weeks have that visual reminder that part of what God has called us to be is to be people who practice abnormal levels of hospitality, not just friendship with other followers of Jesus, but hospitality even among those that we maybe wouldn't ever imagine ourselves sitting at a table with. And I think this is part of the reason the early church experienced such unbelievable levels of relationship and community is because so much of that community and the mission of the early church was born and experienced around tables, sitting with one another and eating with one another. As a matter of fact, I would say this. I think the greatest levels of community happen around a shared mission, happen even around a table. And so for a couple of weeks, what we want to talk about is the ways that I think throughout this text, Peter is encouraging the church to serve one another, but then also to serve outside of these walls, and even to serve as far as the extended reaches of the entire earth. Those are going to make up the three weeks of this whole series. But I think part of what Peter begins with is this idea that what does it look like for us to serve one another? He says, love one another. There is first a call and a step about how we treat one another and what we do here and how we love and serve and know each other. And I think part of Peter's message to the early church was the people of God have the opportunity to experience the plans of God when they step into the mission of God. So I want to show you a verse where I think it shows long before Peter penned these words, God was trying to make this part of the fabric of his people, of you and I. It actually comes out of a book in the Old Testament called Jeremiah. You will know probably this verse, many of you, because it is a, one of those staple verses in the Christian world. Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11 is interesting because it finds itself in a context that we often ignore what precedes it, and we focus only on the one verse because it's a powerful verse of promise. Here's what it says, Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Like, who doesn't want to know that there's plans for their life? Like, who, who doesn't want to know that there's actually an intentional reason, plan, for why you draw breath into your lungs? God says, there is, and I know them. And he says, they're at least to the end of these three things that he'll say. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future. God says, listen, I have plans. And for each one of us, because we're all different people with different wiring and different personalities and different skill sets, there are nuances to how that works out in your life. 
But God says, nonetheless, regardless of the nuances, I have plans for my people. I have plans for my creation. Those plans will involve at least three different things, hope, future, and prosperity like you couldn't make happen on your own. Here's the problem. When we read the Bible, and this is what we have done with this verse, and frankly, I think it's one of the reasons why so many in Christendom love this verse. Like, there's just some verses in the Bible. You ever, you ever realize this? If you've been in the church for a long time, you probably realize this. There's like some verses that everybody seems to know in the church. It's like, how does everybody know that verse? And like, this is one of those verses. But I think it's because of how we tend to read it with our Western lenses. And here's what I mean by that. We as a people in Western culture are fiercely independent. Like, we are individualistic. We are the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm going to get her done her on my own. Like, we just, we're that kind of people. You know this, right? That's not the rest of the world. Like, much of the rest of the world is far more communal in tribes, in communities. It's not just me. It's a we kind of environment and kind of experience. That's not true for us in the West. We are much more independent and individual. Now, here's the problem with that when we approach the Bible, is that when we approach the Bible with that set of lenses, we have a tendency to read the Bible as if it's written to a person, namely us. And so we think all the promises then in the Bible are just directed to us. Do you realize, though, that much of the Bible was not written to a person, but to a people? Not to an individual, but to a community. And this, this is exactly that kind of verse. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans for hope, future, and prosper. That was not written to a person. Listen to me. It wasn't written to me. It wasn't written to you. It was written to us. It wasn't written to a person. It wasn't written to Jeremiah. It was written to the entire community. Here's why that's important. Much of the plans that God has for you involve us. And they are not separate from what God wants to do through us as a community. As a matter of fact, I would say this, much of what God wants to do for you and through you will happen for us and through us as a community, not individuals alone. Now here's the frustrating thing about that, especially in our Western, all me, maverick kind of culture, is that we go, well, I can control me, I can be responsible for my decisions, I can't be responsible for yours, I can't be responsible for his, for hers. So if this is a communal thing and God wants to do what he wants to do for me but through us, then how in the world are we supposed to experience it? Because all I can do is do what I personally do with God. Well, here's how, and I think it's embedded in this text. In, this, in the same way that there's certain verses in the Bible that we all seem to know, there's also certain verses in the Bible that we all seem to ignore. And some of those find their way right here in this passage because I I have seldom heard anybody talk about the verses that precede the promise of a plan, a future, prosper, and hope. But the verses that precede it make sense of that promise and I think show how it is that God intends to deliver on that promise. Watch this. Verse four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. To those I carried out of exile and into exile in Jerusalem and Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Listen, watch. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper too. 
So sometimes we over-spiritualize things. And this is one of those verses. It's like, oh, God's got plans, and he's going to prosper, and he's going to give up. Listen to what God literally says. He says, if you work hard for the city you live in so that it prospers, then you prosper. Part of what God is saying to his people is, listen, I have unbelievable plans for you. But you're going to have to work for it. It's not just going to fall into your lap. I, I think and I dream often, our staff does here, about God's plans for Kensington, but even for our local community here, Orion. And, and I wonder, like, could you imagine if God, like, he just showed up right now. And he's like, hey, let's talk. Here's my plans, man. Prosper, future, future hope. You want to hear them? Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spawn churches out of this campus. I'm going to spawn other campuses out of this campus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring so many people whose lives are radically transformed that you couldn't put enough seats in this room multiple times over. I'm going to heal broken marriages. I'm going to break addictions. I'm going to bring hope where there's despair. Like if God just stood here and he's like, I'm going to do all of this. And we're just like, yes. Like nobody wants to be a part of a church. It's like, we're just going to die and decrease and shrink. Like, you know, it's like, oh find somewhere else to go. So imagine God's like, I have plans you couldn't even imagine. Those plans are going to give you a sense of hope nothing else will, prosper that nothing else will. They're going to give you a future you couldn't even dream of. Here's what we do in our context often. All right, God, drop it on me. And we're just like, put it in my hands, I'm ready. And that'd be great if he did sometimes. But we read this here in Jeremiah and he says, oh, I've got plans. You guys, I have so many plans for Orion. But you're going to have to work for them. And it's not going to come easy. You're going to need to pick up a hammer and build some houses. Plant some crops. You're going to have to work for the betterment of the community around you and watch what I'll do with the community right here. I'm not just going to drop it in your lap. But, but we would love, because this is just our nature at times, if God just did all the hard work and we could just receive all the benefit. Hey, God, just make it happen. We just want an incredible community to be a part of. Just make it happen, God. But he says, I'm gonna, I want to, I plan to. You gotta work for it. I'm expecting you, I'm expecting you to put on your tool belt, build some houses and plant some gardens right alongside me. But even in this section of verses, there's a group of people that are trying to convince the Israelites that God's plans are just gonna easily come through and they don't have to do any work for it. Watch what God says about these people. So yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage, they encourage you to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, for, when 70 years are completed I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you to bring you back to this place. And then this is, the, this is where this verse finds its context. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future, plans to prosper you. That verse finds itself at the end of God saying two important things. Number one, you're going to have to work for this. Number two, don't listen to the lies of the people that are giving you false hope that it's just going to happen and you don't have to do anything. If you go back and read the chapter just prior to this, chapter 28, you can actually see the lies that these other self-proclaimed prophets are trying to give to the people. 
And the lies essentially are this. In this foreign land that they're in, they're telling the people, hey, listen, this can be a really short run, easy run. Don't unpack the boxes. Keep everything packed. Be ready to go. God's going to have a miracle around the corner. We're going to be out of here really soon. So don't settle down. Don't get comfy. A good time is coming. Like, it's this really appealing message. Because who doesn't want to hear that somebody else is going to do all the work and it's going to be really great and it's going to happen really fast? The problem is, that's not what God's saying. What God actually says is, they're liars and they're evil. Because here's his, here's his message to his people. Settle down. Have weddings. Marry. Build houses. Plant gardens. And work for the betterment of this community. He says, build houses. Don't just benefit from other people's work. Plant gardens. Don't just consume what other people create. And work for the betterment of the city you're in. Don't just pull back into your exclusive Christian community. God says, this is not going to be a short run. It's going to be a 70-year journey. So buckle down, put a belt on, get ready. We're going to work together. But when you do work with me, watch what I do. Plans, prosper, and future are definitely on their way. But these people keep lying to the Israelites, saying, no, 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 it's not going to be that hard. It's going to be super easy, and God's just going to drop it all on your lap, and you don't hardly have to do anything, but just wait and receive it. And God's like, no, 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 no. There's going to be no shortcut to building houses and planting gardens. But the message to the people that's so easily being received is, no, 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 no. Just let everybody else do the hard work, and you receive it. There's a, a principle that has been for far too long in most churches called the Pareto Principle, or the 80-20. It's a principle where we see it doesn't matter where the church is, what size it is, what region it is, even many times what country it is, where sadly and unfortunately about 80% of what's produced out of that church comes from 20% of the people, whether that's serving, reaching the community, giving, whether that's going overseas, whatever it is, that about 80% of what most churches accomplish is accomplished with 20% of the people. Which means that there's a whole lot of people and a whole lot of churches that are content to sit back and to let most of the work be done by few of the people and just kind of take it in and consume it without contributing back. The church, even now, much like in the day that Jeremiah was writing, longs for the harvest but doesn't want to put the work into the soil. And in most other contexts where we like to take what we didn't create without giving back, we have a word for that. It's called stealing. But here in this context, we refer to it as going to church. And I don't mean that as a shameful thing. This isn't like, so you better get involved. No. Think about this. If God has done all he has done in his church with 20% of the effort, what in the world could he do with 100%? Part of my hope is that throughout the course of this series is that something different will burn inside of us to realize we do not just go to church. We are the church. And if we would step into the work of the church to build this community, to build the community outside of us, to build the kingdom all around the world, we have not even begun to see what God could do through his community and his people. What we witness in most of the places around the world as the efforts of the church is done by a minority of people. What would happen if more of us stepped in and said, I don't want to be a part of the 80, I want to be a part of the 20 and make it 21, or make it 23, or make it 44, or make it 89? What in the world would begin to happen? I'm telling you, 
God, when he says, I have plans, I have a future, I have prosperity, I'm telling you, we have only scratched the surface of what that is. And the reason is too few of us realize that God has called all of us as his people not to go to church, but to be the church, to pick up some hammers and build some houses. And when we do, I'm telling you, God's church will explode in ways we could have never made happen or dreamed otherwise. Usually usually in this conversation, I get two responses. One is, I don't want to. Okay. You don't have to, but you get to. And I pray that there will come a moment where you will realize that this is not, in this church, a plea and a request to just serve a role as a volunteer. This is an opportunity to step into the body of Jesus Christ and be the part he made you to be. Realizing that your contribution lends to the advancement of the kingdom to be stronger and greater than we could ever be without you. But then there's another camp of people that if you're not going, I don't want to, here's what I hear a lot of times. I I don't have anything to offer. Like I can't speak on stage. I can't play guitar. I can't hit anywhere near that range. Matthias can, which nobody can, by the way. So it makes him amazing. Like, I just, I can't, I, I get weird in front of people. So I think if you're leading a group, be, and so I hear all the time, like, I don't, I don't know that I really got anything to contribute. Do you know the church wasn't built on people like me? It wasn't built on people like Matthias. Our role, in many ways, is so insignificant to the overall impact of the church. It's, it's the iceberg, just the tip. The church was built on people just like you, believing that they don't just go to church, they are the church. I, I wish I could just do something some days to flip the switch and make all of us realize you have been made with unbelievable purpose and there's no insignificant role in the kingdom or in the church. A couple of years ago, I was in Cuba on a mission trip and there was this young girl I got to meet. She was a teen. And I think I especially... I just caught eye with her because I, I've got teen daughters. I just paid attention to her. She, just, she, she was just a sweetheart. But she had a number of special needs that we never really understood what they were. But they, they clearly impacted her physically, uh, mentally. And towards the end of the trip, uh, she came up to me. And she had realized by that point that I was a pastor on the trip, one of the pastors there. And so through an interpreter, she came up and said she wanted to have a conversation. And she asked the interpreter to ask me if I had the healing gift. And so right away, I'm thinking she wants to be healed of whatever her struggles are, whatever her special needs are. And so then as I kind of, I began to talk to her about healing, I said, I'd love to pray for you. Like she stopped the conversation and went back to the interpreter to a point that I like, I'm watching his face. Like, huh? like he's trying to understand. I'm like, do you not understand what she's saying? Like, clearly there was something that wasn't like making sense to him. So at one point I'm like, hey, can I get in on this? Like what's, what's happening? He goes, well, I'm trying to understand she's, She's not asking for you to physically heal her. The healing she wants, so he like turns away. He's like, hold on. So he clarifies, and then he comes back to me. He goes, okay, she's asking that you would pray for her so that she would have purpose and meaning. And man, I just stood there and just sobbed with her and then shared with her how beautiful and how much purpose and meaning she does have. You know, every single night when we would gather as a group to eat dinner, she would come out with this little broken speaker that did little more than feedback, and she'd grab a microphone, and she would just sing over us as we ate, and it was so beautiful. Can I ask you this? Would any of you have looked at her and said, oh, you have no mer- purpose? 
you have no meaning. Of course not. So my question is, why would any of you ever believe that about yourself? Because your Father in heaven has made you intentionally, specifically, purposefully. And you have meaning and purpose for which some of you have not yet realized because you've not stepped into the work of building the kingdom. And it's not just here. The next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what that means for us to build all around the world, to build in our community, outside of these walls. But when Peter says love one another deeply, I think part of what he would have us to understand is that some of the work of the building of the houses is building this house. It's how we love and serve one another right here. And there are so many ways to do that. Don't you ever underestimate the fact that holding babies and K-Kids is building houses. Holding those front doors and saying hello and goodbye, that's building houses. Directing the parking in that lot every week, that's building houses. Working with our high school students, our junior high students, that's building houses. Standing on the stage and singing, that's building houses. Handing stuff out at the doors when you walk in and out of this room, that's building houses. Don't ever underestimate that God has made all of us to contribute to the building of his house. And he says, my plans, my hope, my future are yours, but you're going to have to build some houses and plant some gardens. You're going to have to work for it. But when you do, watch what I do. So I want you to watch a video of a couple of people that are those people in and around Kensington that have really come to believe this is part of what God made me to do, and I'm building houses in this community. So from Orion to Birmingham to Clarkston to Troy, here's some of those people. Hey, everybody. It is Taylor Leal, and we are going to be talking to some of our volunteers today who we appreciate and love so much. We're here to interview some volunteers about how they feel about volunteering. Here's one right here. Hello, sir. Hi. How do you feel about your donut? Hey, everyone. My name's Sam Frangioni. We are here talking to some of our awesome team here, some of our great volunteers, and also enjoying some of the best coffee around. Would you say, based on the looks, that Birmingham campus has the best coffee? I would say that you have the best coffee. I'm a tea drinker because we do serve tea as well, and I go for the chamomile or maybe even the English breakfast. I heard they don't, they don't give out tea at uh, Birmingham. Uh, we have like eight flavors. Maddie, uh-huh. how much do you love serving in K-Kids here at Orient? I love it with all my heart. Why? Because I love hanging out with kids mm. and teaching the gospel. What's your favorite part about serving with middle school students? Um, well, I think it's we both learn from each other, and so I think that's a really cool concept where we're kind of like diving into emotions and things like that, and so we're kind of learning from each other, so I really enjoy that. Kids just have so much fun and be filled with joy when they learn about God and seeing them like realize that God is always with them and just seeing that realization just brings me so much joy. I'm the, f- I call it the first line I get to meet everyone as they come in first, and hopefully I'll make a good impression and they enjoy coming to service. People, when they walk into church, they want that first connection of feeling good about themselves. We bring that to people. We love people. I think it's most important that when when you treat people with respect, with dignity, they're going to feel good going in. They can't wait to go inside to see the message and to listen to the music. And, the, and we want to make them Good feel morning, welcome. Good morning, welcome. Do you guys feel a sense of community being on this team? We do, yeah. It's nice to be one of the first people that get to greet people as they come in. You serve on the kids' worship team, right? Yes. What do you like about it? 
Well, I like that I get to um, dance, and dancing is my number one favorite thing. James is a part of our worship team here. James, what do you what do you love about being a part of our team? It's the people, man. Yeah, it's the people, everybody. Since I came here around Thanksgiving time, everybody uh, just open, just open arms. Everyone's just welcoming. What's your favorite part of the job? Um, just when the kids come in and being able to love on them and just see how their day, you know, let, let them get warm into the room and feel comfortable being in here. The babies, just being able to love on them while their parents are away and, and knowing that they are comfortable and they can go worship and babies are good. I served down with the 15 month to three year olds. Bet you guys didn't think that's what he was gonna say. That's amazing. How many, how many other men served with you? I haven't seen one in a few years. I just like having the opportunity to meet new faces. I'm new to the church, and it provides an opportunity to serve the Lord and meet new people. When they ask, like, what is your gift? The first time, a long time ago, I, I'm like, I don't have a gift. And then they said, That's my cousin true. said, well, you like coffee? And I started the coffee ministry. And now I realize what my gift is because I love people and I love talking to people. Any advice for maybe a new volunteer who is stepping in this week, what would you tell them? Um, I would tell them just like get started. Like it may be like in a little intimidating at first, but um, once you get more comfortable, like it, it just becomes so much fun. If people were new to Kensington or maybe they've been here for a while and they're trying to find a way to get plugged in, would you recommend volunteering? I'll tell you what, we have such a big church, you can get lost in it. And as soon as you volunteer and you start meeting people in small groups and volunteering for one of our areas, you're gonna get so much more out of this. All right, those are awesome, but I wanna give you, before we close out this song, I wanna give you one last picture of the impact and the power of the simplest things that, and why they really do become building houses. Because some of you are like, oh man, listen, handing something out, that's not building a house. That doesn't make a difference. Mark, come here. So this is a story that just happened this morning. So Mark, tell us uh, just a little bit about what you do here and what you just experienced this morning as a part of how you build houses. Oh, hey church, uh, my name's Mark. I get to serve at the Hub every third Sunday of the month. And last uh, time I served, I met a lady, and uh, it was her first time coming to church in a long time. She had suffered a traumatic experience, mm -hmm. and she was stretching herself to come to church. Well, uh, this morning, I saw her. I met eyes with her, and I forgot her name. She walks by. I smiled at her. She walks by, and then she comes back, and she says, you know, the last time I was here, I came to the hub, and you wrote a little card. We do these little thank you cards. She said, I'm here today because you wrote that letter to me. And I was like, wow, that is so cool <laughs> that she said that. And uh, so that was, that's, that's, that was cool. That touched my heart, and uh, we embraced. And uh, it was neat just to uh, play a small role in something God's doing. That's awesome, man. So somebody walks in our doors who's hurting, who's gone through something tragic, who's taking a massive step even to be here. You do the simplest act of writing a card and that's what makes her go, I'm gonna come again. I'm gonna keep taking the step in this journey. She didn't come back because of a message. She didn't come back because of music. She came back because Mark built a house that morning. He took up his hammer, realized I'm building houses. That is what God has made you, me, us, is his community to do. And when we do, together, that's when hope, prosper, future, 
happens like never before. Would you just stand for the minute that we're gonna close out with this song? This song reminds me of a verse in the Bible, Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul speaking. He writes, therefore I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That is so much of what Peter is trying to encourage the church towards. This isn't about you alone. It is about us. And because he lives in us, he longs to work through us. So let's sing this song with a greater reality that we don't go to church. We are the church. Sing this with me. No longer I who live, but Christ in
service, that song had me so shook up. Do you guys want to hear Joyce do that again or what? Right? Woo! I don't know. Brought me back to life. What about you guys? Yeah? Are we ready to be the church? Oh, louder. Be the church? All right. I love it. We want to send you out of here knowing some more information today. Uh, Our kids team has an amazing day planned next Saturday. They are doing a family serve day. There's a slide that's going to come up. We've got cards at the hub. We would love for you guys to get plugged in and serve in the community. One of which is at House of Hope, which is uh, in the trailer park right back over near us over here. The other is in downtown Pontiac with Micah 6. So a great way to get plugged in and do a family serve. And also, if you felt led today to join us on, on, in community on one of our serving teams, I would love to chat with you. So there's a couple ways you can get plugged in. You can text the number that's going to come up on the screen. There it is. See? All of those people serve right here. That's Kira. She's back in kids. That's Leanne. Leanne, where are you at, girl? You back there? She's here this service. And then that's Johnny. He serves on coffee. But those are all Orion people serving in their gift. And we know you guys have one too. So I would love to hear from you. Shoot a text that'll come straight to me. My name's Kim. I would love to connect with you. Or fill out the card that you guys got. Turn them in at the baskets that are on the back. Or another option, so many choices, look for the balloons in the lobby and I'll be out there and I'll love to chat with you. But we're so glad you guys have been with us today. Uh, As always, if something in the service today really touched you and you need prayer, we would love for you to come down front. The prayer team will be here to be with you. But have an awesome rest of your day. It is still beautiful outside and we're excited to be with you next week as we continue the Above All series. Have an awesome day. Take care. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.